The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture reading comes from John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruit. Already, You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, sister. Good morning, Downtown Church. I'm Artez. I'm one of the assistant pastors here, and I want to welcome again those of you. This may be your first or second time. Uh, Thank you for joining us for worship. Uh, I do want to invite us to take a, a brief moment of silence as we prepare our hearts and our minds to hear from the very, the most important voice, I believe, is God himself. So I encourage you, just take a brief moment to prepare your hearts and your minds.
Father, thank you for being present with us. I ask, like I'm sure many other folks here, that you would calm our hearts and our minds. You remove those certain distractions so that we can make room to receive your eternal, living, and powerful word. So be with us in this place. I pray we will be not only hearers of your word, but doers of your word for your glory. Speak to us, O oh God, because your service listens. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you have just a hint of desire to grow in your relationship with God? Well, I have good news for you. Uh, God is so good. He, he's so loving that he can take that hint of desire and enlarge it to a greater desire to love him, to want to live for him. That's his will for all those who, who trust him is to experience the abundant life, a fruitful life. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So you, I heard you asking, Pastor, what is fruit? I'm so glad you asked that, Rico. The Bible's usage of fruit can be understood as the outward evidence of the power that is working from within. The Bible uses all kinds of references talking about fruit, but I want us to point our attention to one particular reference, the fruit of salvation. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus, he explains how you can distinguish a sheep of God and a wolf by their fruit. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 17, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. In other words, a true disciple of Christ is marked by his or her fruit that they bear. But it's also important that we remind ourselves, we, we keep this truth at the forefront of our minds and at the core of our hearts, that we cannot live a life that's pleasing to God unless we're connected to the true life vine that is Jesus himself. As we find ourselves in the context of this passage, Jesus is emphasizing that truth as well to his disciples, to stay connected to me, to abide in me. If you remember, back in John chapter 14, Jesus tell his, tells his disciples, this is the way you will be connected to me. I will send a helper, a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to forever be with you and forever to live in you. Now, there's this transition from John chapter 14 to John chapter 15. Jesus and his disciples are leaving the upper room, and they're making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where Jesus would be arrested. But somewhere in between on that journey from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, they passed a vineyard. 
a vineyard of grapes. And Jesus, in good rabbi fashion, who's a great teacher, he used the mundane things of life to have this, this theological real talk lesson for his disciples. He's telling his disciples, don't just see fruit, don't just see grapes, but I want you to see how these grapes connect with my relationship with you and your relationship with me. And as we make our way through the first 17 verses of John chapter 15, I just want to submit to you our, our big idea for this morning. And that is the Father's purpose for his true disciples is to bear lasting fruit as we abide in Christ. And as we make our way through this text, I want us to see how Jesus is instructing us how to abide in him. First, True disciples of Jesus abide by being completely dependent upon him. We see that in verses 1 and 9. But it's important that we, that we pay attention to three important figures in this metaphor. As you remember, you got the vine dresser. The vine dresser is God the Father. And Jesus is using some Old Testament language where God is depicted as the vine dresser, of the nation of Israel. He tends to her. The second figure we see in this text is the vine, that is Jesus himself. And Jesus declares the last of the seven I am statements, I am the true vine. What Jesus is saying, I, I am the way to God. I'm, I'm the source to God. I'm the power to, to live for God. It's not connected to the nation of Israel. It's not connected to a people. It's not connected to a place. It's connected solely in Jesus. And lastly, we see the branches. We see the fruitful branches, but we also see the fruitless branches. And I would say this, brothers and sisters, friends, everywhere, everyone in this room, everyone in the city of Memphis, in the United States, in the entire world, will fall in one or two categories. You're either a fruitful branch in Jesus or you're a fruitless branch apart from Jesus. But let's, let's look at the first branch in verse 2. We got the fruit-bearing branch. These are the people that are dependent upon Jesus. And Jesus intentionally uses this intimate union type of language. In verse 4, he says, abide in me, and I in you. In other words, to, to be in Christ is synonymous with salvation in Christ. And, and Paul, he reminds us of this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It is because of the grace of God that was lavished upon us, that we have new life spiritually in him. This is the basis of our relationship. And guess what, brothers and sisters? We don't graduate from this grace, but it is this grace that sustains us to the very end. And on the other hand, if we are disconnected from this true life vine, 
we will find ourselves lacking the necessary resources to live a life that's pleasing to God. Jesus said in John chapter 15, 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, <laughs> not a few things, not a couple things, not some things, but what? Nothing. I ain't got to break down the Greek. I think we all know what that, what that word means. Nothing. But brothers and sisters, there are all kinds of things and people that comes in the way of our devotion and our faithfulness to God. But the Father, he does have a process to, to check us, to, to put us back in place. Allow me to uh, revisit the metaphor. He said there's a vine dresser, and they're, they're, the vine dressers are typically the ones who oversee vineyards. The vine dressers tend to the crops very intricately and very decisively. And the vine dressers, they typically have their tools, shears. I'm not a gardener. I did a lot of research, so I'm not going to portray as if I'm, you know, uh, this is my expertise. But the vine dressers have these shears like scissors. And they will clip and cut any weeds or dead branches, anything that's prohibiting the maximum fruitfulness of the crop. And it is the vine dresser that has a vision of what the, the vineyard is supposed to look like. And brothers and sisters, if y'all following the metaphor, God the Father, in a very much serious sense, he is the vine dresser of his people. And he does have his tools. He will clip and cut some things out of your life. Anything that's prohibiting you from maximizing your fruitfulness. And it is the God the Father who has a vision of what his people is supposed to look like. Do you find yourself right now in a season of pruning? Pruning is painful. Pruning is necessary. You may find yourself being tempted to push away to find the vine dresser's hands, to isolate yourself from community. God may be calling you. He may be cutting and clipping out certain friendships and relationships that has been a hindrance to your devotion to God. He, he may be withholding a promotion at your job for a particular reason. You seem impatient. He may be allowing certain sin to surface in your life so that you can see how weak you are, but how strong he is. I want to encourage you, let us not push away the vine dresser's hand. As painful as that pruning process may feel like, it's not a punishment. It's not a punishment. Because if it was a punishment, then Romans 8.1 would contradict itself. What Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for Christ, for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus had already taken the punishment on your and our behalf. It's not a punishment. Let us entrust ourselves to the Father's pruning hands. He's patient. He's caring. He's kind. He's gracious. He's loving. A fruitful disciple find themselves completely dependent on Christ. There is another branch that Jesus speaks of. In verse 6, and these branches do not bear fruit. 
These are the individuals who are not completely dependent upon the Lord. Look with me in verse 6. Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. There is much debate between biblical scholars and Christians as, as, as around who is Jesus referring to? Who are these branches that he cuts off and throw away into the fire? Obviously, in this vineyard, in, in God's church, there's these branches or people who, who bear fruit outwardly that's lasting fruit. And on the other hand, in God's church, there are branches who may bear fruit or resemble some fruit on the outward, but it's not lasting. There's no coincidence that Jesus used this metaphor when Judas, the betrayer, the son of the devil himself, left. He's gone. So Jesus is, he's talking to his disciples. He doesn't shy away from the faith of those who don't find their home in Jesus for those who have willfully rejected his life, his joy, his redemption. Their faith is eternal damnation. And I'm not going to apologize for speaking about the reality of hell, brothers and sisters, because it's clear in the Bible. But in the same vein, I plead with you, as so does God himself, because the Bible teaches us that God's kindness and his patience is to do what? To lead us to repentance. So if you find yourself now pretty convinced, Artez, I'm probably that fruitless branch. I'm disconnected from Jesus, the true life. I plead with you to be reconciled with God today. Don't leave without doing business with God. He asks you to come. Jesus also instructs us in his word that true disciples abide in Jesus by keeping his commandments out of love. Look with me in verse 10 through 11. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, your, that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. Jesus has, he has this favorite uh, lesson, this, this favorite phrase, which was also repeated in John chapter 14, verse 21. If you love me, you will follow my commandments. And as a side note, c commandments can seem, you know, that word we just don't throw around every single day, Right? But commandments, they're God's authoritative and life-giving instructions that he, he gives to his people so that we may live in light of them by the power of the Spirit. And so it's simplistic. If you want to live a life that's pleasing to God, we must walk in obedience to his commandments. All of them. Can't pick and choose. But I believe... A lot of times we can exhaust ourselves with this legalistic type mentality. It, 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 it sounds like this. I must obey his commandments in order to be a good Christian. 
And then on the other side, I've been struggling to obey. Therefore, I'm not a good Christian. Neither one of those are healthy. <laughs> but Jesus is telling us in his, in his text, the main motivation for our obedience It's a four-letter word, L-O-V-E, love. (laughs) Jesus tells us in verse 10, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, Christ's obedience was rooted in his love for the Father and the Father's love for him. So it may be for us, brothers and sisters, our obedience let it be rooted in our love for God and God's love for us. So the question I want to put before you, how is God calling you to obey his word right now? No matter the season you may find yourself in, the different roles or responsibilities, whatever's on your plate, Whatever people in your life, whatever place you may find yourself, regardless, God wants us to obey. God wants us to abide in his love. Do you have trusted people in your life right now? Trusted people that that have the green light to call you out. When you tripping. Not literally that. What I, what I mean by when you, when you are strained, when you don't have your life in line with the Father's will, do you have a trusted brother or a trusted sister to call you out, to confront your sin? Because, listen, our obedience to God is not individual. And thanks to Dr. Denny, I was reminded in Sunday school last week, our obedience is communal. It's covenantal. God gave us his, he gave his covenant people his, his commandments. I mean, think about the various passages in the New Testament that deals with our obedience and extending that love to one another. Let me just jog our memory. We're commanded to exhort each other as long as today is called today in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. We're commanded to restore those who are in sin, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Aren't you glad that somebody came into your life when you was in sin and gave you truth? God used, you, used that individual to release you from your shame and your guilt? I guess I'm lying myself. He called us to bear each other's burdens in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, to pray for one another, Acts chapter 2. This is the fruitful life of a true disciple. And our fruit, as we obey in love, our fruit is meant to be sweet. It's meant to be tasteful for other people to consume, for other people to know God more. It ain't just about you. It's about us. Because God knows if we were just left in our individual bubble and it was just me and God, he knows that we would be prone to redefine the terms of what it means to obey God. I love what Bible teacher 
Kim Cash Tate says about our obedience. She says, we can't live however we want to live and claim to still love God. He defines what love is. Loving God means obeying God. And how awesome that this leads to fullness of joy. This is abundant life. This is supernatural living. This is how to live above your circumstances. You're not being tossed by every storm in life because you're abiding in the Lord over the storm. But did y'all pick up on that second half of the quote? How she's connecting our obedience with the joy we get to experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because joy is the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul told us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It's, it's joy, it's the, the gladness of the heart to be experienced, even in the most difficult circumstances. How familiar are you with this joy that you got friends, family, strangers that's looking at your life and seeing what you're going through? And they say, are you still sticking with this guy? Do you not see what you're going through? Did you, did you not hear the news that the doctor gave? Do you not see what's going on in our city? You still going to stick to this guy? And let our reply be, it's not me who's sticking with this guy, but it's this guy who's sticking with me. This joy that's unshakable, that's rooted in the spirit but that is to be experienced even in our obedience. A true disciple of Christ abides by following his commandments out of love. And lastly, brothers and sisters, Jesus helps us see that true disciples abide in him by loving other disciples as Jesus loved us. Verses 12 through 17, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. As we abide in Christ, Christ enables us to love one another. But I love how Jesus not only gives us an example of this. He say, I lay down my life. But Jesus never calls us to do something that he hadn't already done himself. But let's unpack this a little bit more, how Jesus has loved us. In verses 13 through 15, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. He's about to tell them how their relationship has evolved over these past three years. Verse 13, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are not, I'm sorry, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Jesus refers to his disciples, to us as friends. And I like to believe that master-servant Association, it can seem cold, strict, commandment-driven, one-sided, do what I say, no questions asked. 
But Jesus refers to his people, his, his disciples, as friends. And I believe that Jesus is trying to help his disciples see the quality of their friendship. Because we don't throw that word around so loosely. It's a privilege to call someone a friend. My wife, Ebony, she's, uh, she's a twin. She has an identical twin sister. And it's been very interesting to see their relationship uh, ever since I've known her and known my sister-in-law. But they've known each other from day one. I mean, in, literally in the womb, you know, uh, they've been together. Uh, I've seen all the cliches, you know, if any of y'all are twins. Uh, I've seen a cliche like they can finish each other's sentences. Um, they feel each other's pain in a sense. And I know my wife talking to her sister, all she got to say is, girl, and it's almost as if her sister knows exactly what they mean. It's a different tone. It's like, girl, girl, girl. It's, I don't know. It's a whole different language. But they've been through a lot together. And I know most of the stories, they've been through transitions, ups and downs, went to the same school. Um, it ain't always been super sweet. They had their fights and their disagreements. But their reconciliation process is really fast because they know one another. And I'll make the argument, we all desire some kind of quality friendship like that, whether you're a twin or not, whether you're friends with your biological siblings or not. We all desire a quality friendship like that. So we should be selective, because it's a privilege, right, Mary? Did you know Jesus was very selective of his friends? If y'all don't believe me, let me let the Bible speak. John chapter 15, verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go bear fruit, and your fruit should abide. The basis of our friendship was not our choosing, but it was Christ who chose us. Even before the foundations of the world, he had us in mind, and it wasn't because you were so attractive. <laughs> it wasn't because you were so cool. It wasn't because you had shared interests with Jesus. He was so drawn to your personality. In fact, it was the complete opposite. We was running away from God. We were hostile to Christ. But he was so kind and so good to lay down his life so that that grace can be bestowed upon you and I. It's free. No strings attached. It is that grace that meets us where we are when the world throws us in the garbage, when the world kicks us to the curb, when the world turns its back on us. As the hymn we just sang, what a friend we have in Jesus. That is our motivation to love other disciples as Jesus has loved because he called us as friends when we were unlovable. There is an obvious expectation that the people of God would love those who don't share the same faith. But I believe, I, I, I would make the argument 
that in this particular context, remind you, Judas ain't there. <laughs> I will make the argument that Jesus is specifically talking about Christian to Christian relationship. He's saying, if you are my child, love my other children. <laughs> and I can hear y'all rebuttals right now in y'all heart. I know I ain't Jesus. Or maybe I'm projecting. You say, Pastor, man, it's hard to love folks who are always critical and negative. It's hard to love folks when you just don't have the same interests. You know, y'all, your personalities don't click. They don't vibe. It can be awkward. It's hard to love. I know it's hard to love people who try to project their convictions upon you because of their insecurities. It's hard. But let me just leave you with two encouragements. One, don't forget where Jesus met you at. Don't forget we're all still a work in progress. Don't forget Jesus just didn't settle for the surface things, but it was much deeper that brought us together towards him. And the basis of our relationship is that he loved us because he loved us. Period. And the second encouragement I want to leave y'all with as we seek to live a fruitful life and specifically living out this command of loving other Christians as ourselves, abide, remain, stay connected, stay dependent upon the vine who gives us the power to do it. Let our lives continue to embody and, and exude the fruit of the Spirit. May your friendships, your relationships be marked with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, what would make a father in heaven more happy to see his children loving one another the way he has loved us? And if that's not your faith, I invite you to seriously examine, to be honest with yourselves. And as I asked you in the beginning, if you have a hint of desire to grow in your relationship with God, I pray that by God's grace, he will meet you where you are. He will take that hint and he will enlarge it to a greater desire that your life would never look the same. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you did choose to love us first because there was nothing that we can offer you. The only thing we brought to this friendship was sin, insecurities, a lot of trauma, hurt, but yet you welcomed it and you vowed, you made a promise that we would not be the same that you would show your grace off through our lives and it would be a testimony to the world around us. Thank you. I pray you will continue to allow us to be convinced that it is you who preserve our relationship. But give us the grace to choose to stay connected to the life-giving vine. It is in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said together, amen. If I could put it plainly, abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Let that be a reminder as we go 
Would you stretch forth your arms as we receive God's blessing? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen.